sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning, hello and welcome to Money for Nothing. It's Pinch Punch first of the month today, as it's Wednesday the 1st of April, and I'm Richard Harris. Your business headlines for the day. Markets were dominated by the end of the first quarter of 2015. The screens were full of red as prices slipped around 1% as traders flattened their books at the end of a bumper first quarter in the stock markets. The European economy is surprised with good economic figures out of Germany and the UK. And closer to home, China says it will ensure bank deposits, one step along the path of easing the control on interest rates. In other news, Philips Glow Lamps, who've made light bulbs for 123 years, finally sell their lighting business for a mere 2.8 billion US dollars to a private equity firm. An SCMP reports that 47 countries have now applied to join the China-sponsored Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank by the time the deadline passed yesterday. And real estate company Dalian Wanda reported a 14% increase in profits, but with a cautious statement about the future. While Kaiser, the troubled real estate company, which is under the threat of collapse, said the 2014 accounts were held up by auditors. Well, Bloomberg is alerting its readers for April Fool's hoaxes today and bogus news stories, and we would never do that to you. So I've shelled the one about the US Federal Reserve Board raising interest rates by 1% last nine. I think you're all too clever to be fooled. But it's worth a moment to think how you would feel if that was true and what the market's first reaction would be. To lead us through this and other possibilities today is nobody's fool, Mr. Sean Darby of the Stockbrokers Jeffries, who will be giving us his take on the next quarter. Our next guest is Leung Siu Chong of the Hong Kong Productivity Council. SC is a specialist in system security and he's going to tell us how not to be fooled by fishers, hackers and spammers. And back with us is our regular commentator, but today for the full half hour as our guest host, we have Michael Every of Robobank. Michael never takes fools gladly with his firm commitments on the market. Good morning, Michael. Good to have you back. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Michael, all this end of quarter stuff, uh, people often get uh, rather hot under the collar about it. Do, do you think it makes much of a difference? Well, it does on the one day sometimes. As you said, if we had a big down day yesterday, you can perhaps explain some of that by the fact that people are just uh, settling the books at the end of the quarter. But overall, I don't really think it changes the big picture very much. Because I've often found that at the end of a quarter, in fact, I might make this Harry's number one rule of markets, that you often get quite big changes at the end of a quarter. You know, if you've had a big bull run, often the end of a quarter sees quite a big change to, uh, to maybe something more negative. Have you ever seen that? Well, you can do if the fundamentals have changed and then the market or money managers as a whole all decide to shift their allocations following that fundamental shift. But I don't think we've actually seen any fundamental changes recently, so I don't see why we should see any changes in the portfolio manager's uh, thinking. Hopefully no fundamental changes and no changes in psychology just yet. Well, the European economy is surprised with good figures out of Germany and the UK. German unemployment is now at a record low of 6.4%. While European unemployment has fallen to 11.4% overall, not far from the magic single digit. The region also saw an improvement in deflation at minus 0.3% as against 06 last month. It's all in all not too bad. The UK printed uh, GDP growth of 2.2% with a good jump in retail sales as well. 
Well, let's have a look at what happened in the markets overall in the last quarter. Uh, as we said, the markets yesterday, the screens were full of red. Uh, with markets down around 1%. Quarter-end usually means, uh, as Mike was saying, the expiry of options, which do unusual things to markets, and also time with investors flat out books or window dress their performance figures for their clients uh, uh, who monitor their performance over the quarter. The euro stocks fell 0.8% yesterday to end at 3,698. Over the first three months of 2015, the European stock markets had a bumper time, with the Euro stocks index up 17%. The German index got the yellow jersey, rising most of all of the major markets up nearly 22%, with Italy and France close behind. Vincent Juvens, who's chief global strategist at JP Morgan, is still positive on Europe. But we do believe there is still upside for the European equity market. Uh, if you look actually at the surprise indicator on an economic basis, you see also that you have by far the best uh, level of surprise now since two years. So I would say this, this, this equity rally is well supported by economic fundamentals. At the same time, we have to acknowledge that valuation have no rich um, average level or even on slightly on the, on the expensive side. But at the same time, we see that the fundamentals of European equities are better than average. Mm. We can look at the leverage, for instance, uh, which is uh, at the moment around 180% and was on average on around 260%. So we have average valuation, but better than average fundamental at the moment. So well, Vincent Juvens goes on to say why he's still pretty bullish on European companies. Well, we do believe that in an environment where you have a massive drop to the euro versus uh, other currencies, in an environment where the ECB has managed to lower financing costs for companies, in an environment where growth is picking up in Europe, but not only in Europe, globally as well, European companies which generate half of their revenues abroad should uh, take their share of uh, this better momentum. So logically we should uh, see positive earnings momentum in Europe. We do see that bottom-up analysts are quite bullish also on earnings prospect for this year. Uh, so, yes, I do believe we will get some support from that. On the other hand, the S&P was up less than a quarter percent in that quarter, uh, barely hitting positive territory. That, however, preserved the record of up quarters, this being its ninth in the row. But the U.S. is now lagging the pack after surging 50 percent over the last three years. Bob Dole ran one of the best funds in the U.S. for Leg Mason for nearly 20 years. He's now with Nuveen Asset Management and summarizes the U.S. market's concerns. Well, there are two flies in the ointment on the earnings story. One is the falling uh, energy prices, and that hits uh, oil companies and related very hard. That's where the biggest downward revisions have been. And the other is the rise in the dollar, which obviously uh, hurts the multinationals. I think what we haven't seen is the upward revisions that probably come from companies that benefit from the decline in oil prices. That will happen as they release the earnings. So I'm not sure it's as dire as people think. Uh, I do think earnings will be under a, a cloud, and therefore the market, I think, can't make noticeable forward progress until we get this uh, earnings nonsense behind us. But uh, I'm not as cautious as some of the numbers out there are. In Asia, the standard market was Shanghai, with a rise of 16% in the last quarter alone. Over the last year, China leads the pack with a rise of 83%. Yet again, Hong Kong lags substantially, rising in the quarter only 5.5%. Japan, on the other hand, showed a respectable 10% rise over the quarter. India, which has been so strong in the last three years, it's been up 60% in the last three years, also had a poor quarter, rising less than 2%. Michael, we seem to be having 
a rotation around these markets. You know, the US was very strong. And in the last six to nine months, we've seen Europe come through strongly and uh, also some Asian markets such as China. Is this kind of rotation likely to continue? And where do you see it going? Well, I think it's likely to continue, but we have to look at what the driver really is. And in one word, it's QE. Whichever central bank is more active in terms of electronically printing money, uh, I'm not using the most technical language there, but I'm trying to make it, easy for the the rest of us. <laughs> make it easy for the layman. Not surprisingly, they're seeing the vastest or the fastest increase uh, in equity prices and in asset prices overall. Uh, now, China isn't doing that yet, but of course the market is thinking that it's inevitable that it will be dragged in that direction. That's one of the reasons why we're seeing the Shanghai Stock Exchange really explode through the roof. Europe obviously is doing QE, and that's one of the reasons why European equities are continuing to outperform. And yes, uh, as one of the earlier speakers was saying, there are some positive indicators coming out of Europe. You can't deny that. But at the same time, this is a, 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 an economic block where you've got 50% unemployment amongst uh, people under the age of 24 in some countries. So it's hardly an economic success story. And I think it's the central banks who are the, the bigger driver of this rather than the fundamentals. But we've got uh, central banks uh, producing money. Of course, they're hoping it's going to trickle down to the economy, but it looks as if it's only going to the fat cats uh, in, in the stock market. But aren't all we're seeing really is an inflation of share prices that one day is going to to bite us, really, when the banks have to pull back that liquidity. Absolutely. In a, in a nutshell, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, traditional macroeconomic textbooks, wrong as they are, uh, indicate that when the central bank pumps in liquidity like that, you get overall inflation and you reflate the economy. Well, that transmission mechanism has broken down due to globalization. No one really gets any pay rises on the back of that anymore. So we don't have generalized inflation. But instead, yes, we get asset price inflation. So if we step back from that policy, if we ever see it reversed, and if, as you said, in an April Fool's Day joke, the Federal Reserve were to raise interest rates by 100 basis points overnight, which is the kind of thing they used to do once upon a time. Absolutely. I think we will see equity prices heading south very, very rapidly. And then where will we be? Not in a very pretty place. Yes. Well, of course, it's all in the timing and um, uh, we've got an asset allocation show today because it's the end of the quarter and I'm pleased to bring in now Sean Darby who's Chief Global Equity Strategist at Jefferies and is our market, regular market commentator on Money for Nothing. Good morning, Mike. Uh, Good Sean. morning. Um, uh, Sean, what's your take on, on this rotation through the market? Do you follow what Michael's saying? To some extent I think it's true. I think one of the big variables that has impacted all of the financial markets has actually been the drop in uh, gasoline prices or petrol prices. I mean, the, there's almost been an instantaneous change in consumption indicators, whether we look at it even in China or indeed the US. So um, actually, irrespective of the QE policies being uh, undertaken, there's been a very big um, uplift in uh, consumption habits, mainly from, from falling gasoline prices, which I think has been the predominant factor over the last two quarters. And it's almost been instant gratification for some of the sectors. So I think that's been a very, very important driver aside from uh, central bank policies. So, Michael, uh, falling oil prices, uh, increased liquidity, do you agree with that? I'm afraid I don't, actually. I think, in theory, that's what we should have seen. Um, but without, you know, really getting too detailed over the radio, I'm wondering which consumption indicators we're talking about, because retail sales year-on-year year in both the US and China continue to drift lower, despite the fact that oil prices have gone down. 
Well, I've been looking at some of the restaurant sales in the U.S., which are at a 10-year high. The sort of catering sales in China have also turned positive. We've seen the same numbers coming through in some of the earnings numbers in the developed world um, in some of these um, low-end uh, consumer sectors. So there has been the change in um, the savings from gasoline price drop has actually been passed into some of the sectors actually quite quickly. Admittedly, uh, some of that has got saved, but actually it has actually passed actually far quicker than perhaps people have appreciated. Well, it's interesting. If you look at uh, Hong Kong, the change of gasoline or the, uh, the change of uh, raw fuel prices has gone straight to the pumps but has benefited almost nobody else. The airlines have been hedged, um, and uh, we've also seen... Uh, you've got regulated transport services. You get very little impact from the, from the oil price fall. But I guess that uh, what you're saying, Michael, is, is that really it's a pure liquidity thing, that oil is nice but not so important. Well, I think it is fundamentally important, don't get me wrong, but um, in those two particular countries we're talking about, the US and China, the aggregate data have continued to deteriorate over the past six months alongside lower energy prices. And I think actually, in China's case, have been one of the drivers of lower energy prices. That's more my view. Um, let's move on. Uh, I know, Sean, you look at Japan as well. And I was struck the other day by just some figures coming out, Japan's jobless rates uh, inching down. Uh, Japan and Tokyo consumer prices advancing 2.3%. Japan's had a pretty good run in the last uh, three months. The market's up 10%. The currency has been pretty strong. Is this a new dawn in Japan, Sean? Well, I, yes. I mean, I have to say, again, I, I slightly disagree with your um, uh, colleague there. I mean, when I look at, uh, for example, wage moves in Japan, I mean, we've just had the uh, annual shunta, which is the sort of wage negotiations between the large companies and labor unions. And they've sort of agreed a monthly pay hike of 2.4%. There was also a big jump in wages for part-time workers. So actually in Japan, we're starting to see a noticeable change in um, income levels. And I'd have to say that's also the case in Germany as well. We're getting a 3.4% uh, IG Metall uh, agreement between unions and, and, and employees. So actually Japan has probably been one of the fastest turnarounds in overall wages in, in the developed world and far, you know, perhaps has been far more responsive in turning around perhaps inflation expectations than, than people appreciate. And in fact, the Japanese you know, central bank has long last found that, uh, you know, there is a connection between wage growth and, and inflation expectations. But when I was a boy, the thought of wages going up has always seemed to be a bad thing because it would stoke inflation. Michael, is this... Uh are we looking at inflation maybe coming down the line at last? Well, I think we'd all desperately like to see it, and nobody, nobody more than the BOJ. But I'm but afraid would we, because interest rates go up and then the markets tank. Well, yes, unfortunately, we have also painted ourselves into a corner, which is one of the reasons why I'm afraid I can't be quite as bullish uh, <laughs> as some people involved uh, in the equity markets. But um, uh, even again, again, turning back to Japan, it's interesting because I, I do agree on a nominal basis we are seeing some pay rises at some firms in Japan now, and hurrah for that finally. But if you look at a, an index tracking real wages, which is obviously the nominal wage increase and then subtracting inflation from that, we're at a 25-year low and, and we continue to deteriorate. So I think once you factor out the fact that wages are only just keeping track with where inflation has gone in Japan because of the depreciation of the yen and because of the tax hike we've recently seen, I think people are standing still at best. But that seems to be the same elsewhere. There's a big debate, of course, with the UK election going about are people really better off? 
um, because at last real wages have, have, have started to move forward. Um, and the UK often tends to be a little bit of a lead indicator in these things. Sean, do you think um, uh, that we're actually at last likely to see real wages increase around the world? Well, I would agree. Certainly in the UK, that number now sort of wages are growing faster than inflation, which is exactly what the central bank uh, wants. I disagree with the view that uh, real, certainly real incomes have been um, negative in Japan. But bear in mind that year-on-year effect of the consumption tax hike is now um, passing, is now finished. And as I said, I think wages are probably you know surprised on the upside in Japan. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of more optimistic on the sort of overall wage environment. And again, is that necessary? necessarily bad for financial markets? I wouldn't necessarily say so because real real interest rates are going to be negative. So it's, you know, it's actually pretty, generally pretty good for financial assets in that type of environment. So again, I sort of, sort of disagree with the, your, your colleague there. That's why we like disagreement. Two sides make a market. Let's move on to China now. Maybe we'll have a bit more agreement there. We've got the Purchasing Managers Index out today. The last one, the last month, was, was not very good, uh, below 50, which means a contraction of the economy. Sean, what's your forecast on this? Well, I, I think there's been a... Um, the new leadership has been um, quite adamant about the fact that it's much happier to allow the economy to set at a, a, set at a new equilibrium rate and provided that un- the unemployment rate doesn't necessarily deteriorate. Um, I think sort of terminal GDP growth rates are probably around about 5 five to 6%. So in that respect, um, they're quite, you know, it's, it is not necessarily disastrous that the PMI numbers are falling. I think what has happened in the last uh, six months is that the cent- certainly the central bank in China has become far more aware of the deflation risk imposed on, on the banking system and actually started to you know, improve liquidity conditions at the front end of the yield curve. And I think that's just sensible, really, given what we've noted in you know, past cycles in the U.S. and elsewhere. So I think we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, the, the, the Chinese are very sort of happy to sit essentially in one sense get the equilibrium rate down to a much more reasonable level without necessarily having to uh, undertake fiscal stimulus. Michael, I was doing some in-depth research of the Hong Kong Sevens of the weekend, as one does, <laughs> and sitting next to a gentleman who does a, a lot of um, uh, import-export out of Asia, he says that much of the low-end stuff has now moved to countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, and what surprised me, he said they're also taking the volume as well. Is this likely to be a sustainable threat to China? Well, I think to some degree it is. I mean, China is such a vast market with such an integrated supply chain across different industries uh, and has such economies of scale that it's never suddenly going to disappear and see manufacturing hollowed out completely. But at the margin, absolutely, more and more firms are saying, OK, my next factory will be in Indonesia, in Vietnam, etc., etc. And and you're seeing the figures there showing the same thing. Sean, uh, just finally looking at the next quarter, um, what's your general view? Are you bullish and bearish? And and what are you looking at as your key investment target? Well, I I, I mean, I I don't disagree with the view that I think the U.S. equity market and the U.S. economy is going to have a pretty difficult period in the next quarter in terms of uh, releases. And I think the market in the U.S. is not going to uh, fare that well. Um, But when I look around the rest of the world, um, you know, Europe, um, Asia, China, 
the narrow money supply, which is generally a very good indicator for equity markets, has actually turned rapidly around. So in the central bank easing that we've had in the last two quarters is actually feeding through into the, um, into the system, and I think that generally bodes well. And you have to remember, look, you know, the, the positioning of everybody in the, in the system is actually in bonds. I mean, everyone is in the, has a massive deflationary bet, negative nominal yields in places like Europe. So the irony is that you, you don't want to be necessarily too negative. There's an enormous amount of opportunity uh, for this money to be switched into equities. And as I said, there's a limited number of financial assets for it to go into. Seems like that. Well, as they say, uh, bull markets uh, climb a wall of worry. Yes, indeed. And I, as I said, I think the U.S. may actually fare a lot worse this year. But in places like Europe and uh, some of the EM, I think it's actually going to be a reasonably good year, particularly the drop in the gasoline prices is a big, big uh, boost to real incomes. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sean. Have a very happy Easter, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the other side. Uh, Michael will be staying with us. And if you want to listen again to this or any other stories, you can find all of our podcasts on the RTHK Radio 3 website. It's now 8.23. Starting from April 1st, 2015, plastic shopping bag charging will be fully implemented to cover all retail outlets. All plastic shopping bags, including flat-top bags, non-woven bags, and paper bags with plastic coating will be subject to a charge of 50 cents each or more. Retailers giving out free plastic bags may be prosecuted. Use less. Waste less. Bring your own bag. For details, please visit the Environmental Protection Department's website. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Well, the growing cost of cybercrime is estimated by Europol, which is the Euro police network, to have risen to three trillion US dollars. And that makes it more profitable than the global trade in marijuana, cocaine and heroin combined. The website Tripwire surveyed companies to say how long it would take for them to detect a breach. 37% of respondents said they were not even confident that they could detect a breach at all. Verizon says a data breach usually occurs within a matter of seconds and the data can be removed within minutes. Verizon also found in 99% of the cases companies were told of the breaches by third parties. So to talk about protecting ourselves is Leung Siu Chong, who's the... the, um, consultant to the Hong Kong Productivity Council, uh, and he's part of the Hong Kong Computer Emergency Response Team. Uh, SC, good morning. Hello, SC, do we have you on the line? Yes, uh, yes, good morning. Good. Uh, yeah. um, SC, you've just uh, put out a report saying that there's been a large surge in security incidents reported in Hong Kong in 2014 uh, compared to last year. Can you tell us more about it? Yes, um, we record um, about uh, over 3,000 cases uh, handled uh, last year. Uh, it's uh, about a double of the previous year. Uh, the huge increase of the number of incidents was due to the increase of referral cases. As a result of close, uh, close collaboration with uh, global security researchers and organizations. And uh, last year, the, the, this such a high surge of uh, incidents uh, all of which are about 80% are coming from the referral cases. 
in which uh, the overseas security researchers give us information about compromised computers in Hong Kong. And uh, we um, informed ISPs uh, to uh, contact their customers about these breaches. Uh, that accounts for about uh, 2,000 cases uh, of uh, uh, computer botnets. But we're also seeing uh, uh, hacking or secure cybersecurity going from computers now into mobile phones and servers. Uh, and I know, for one, I probably wouldn't know if my phone was being hacked. Oh, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. Um, yes, uh, more and more uh, cases going to mobile uh, um, mobile devices and mobile platforms uh, because a lot of uh, mobile malware uh, uh, installed on the mobile phones or tablets uh, without the knowledge of the user and uh, resulting in a data breach and also uh, potentially there's uh, some uh, financial loss. But how can we actually stop this ourselves? Uh, firstly, uh, a lot of the, the mobile users are not aware that uh, they, they are installing uh, mobile apps from unofficial sources. For example, they install from uh, other websites or they, they just click the links sent by their friends to WhatsApp online. And then uh, without hesitation, they install the apps they are, they are uh, proposed to, to install. And some of these users... Uh, do not even have uh, security software installed on the mobile phone. But I don't have security software installed on my mobile phone as far as I know, and nobody's even asked me to. Yeah, um, usually um, I think the awareness in the mobile platform is quite different from the uh, uh, PC. A lot of people have uh, firewall and uh, antivirus software installed on the PC, but on the mobile phone, they, they, are, they are thinking, oh, well, it's, mobile phone is uh, quite, quite secure. So are we saying basically we should all be practicing safe apps? Yes. Um, uh, firstly, we need to install apps from uh, official uh, app stores. And secondly, uh, uh, some of the users um, try to root or we call jailbreak the mobile phone to, in order that they can install other apps, which is not uh, very secure. Well, SC, that's um, uh, very helpful for you to tell us. It, it certainly made me concerned, and uh, I sound like I'm the uh, the obvious person. So we really need to think about security, not only in terms of mobile phones, not only in terms of our computers, not only in terms of where we shop, where we leave our credit card and stuff, um, but also in taking some active uh, acti actions in terms of dealing with um, uh, viruses and things that might come through the phone. Yeah, true. Um Besides uh, about malware, um, uh, on, uh, on the mobile phone, a lot of users are using it to access uh, different kind of uh, uh, internet services or cloud services. And, uh, yeah. Okay, well, let's see, that's all we have time for now. But thank you very much for coming on, and let that be a warning to us all. Yeah. Uh, just before we go, uh, the markets that have just opened, uh, the Australian market is down a fraction, uh, 0.2 at uh, 5,850. Um, and the Nikkei and Seoul, which have just opened with, in the new year, they're both down uh, slightly as well. No real leadership coming through the markets. Um, Michael, your favourite ideas for the next quarter? Well, just returning to the conversation we were having briefly, I think whenever you look at the big standpoint of the bond market versus the equity market, I think in the long run of history, the bond market is always right. But in the near term, the equity market can keep on being wrong. Uh, which means the next quarter? Well, I think equities will probably keep going up and bond yields will keep going down. But ultimately, I know which one of them is giving the right signal. Yes, and that's when we all go and live on a desert island. Well, Michael, <laughs> thank you very much for coming. I appreciate that. Have a very good Easter. And um, we'll see you next time.
Thank you. And just before we go, the weather, uh, the weather forecast for today, coastal fog in the morning and at night, sunny periods during the day with a maximum temperature of 28 degrees, light to moderate southeasterly winds. Uh, looking over the, over the holiday, rather warm with sunny periods in the next few days. At the observatory, the temperature is currently 23 degrees and the relative humidity is 94%. And now the news, read by Samantha Butler. HKTV has issued a statement denying reports that its chairman, Ricky Wong, has agreed to buy a stake in struggling broadcaster ATV. The Executive Council is expected to hold a special meeting this morning to discuss the future of ATV. Earlier, its major investor, Wong Ching, said he'd agreed to sell his controlling stake to HKTV's Ricky Wong. The government rejected Mr Wong's bid for a free-to-air TV licence in 2013. Charles Mock, who's a member of LegCo's IT and Broadcasting Panel, says he believes ATV probably expected its license wouldn't be renewed. Now that HKTV came out and said that this never reached a deal, I think it probably means that ATV was trying to use it as a last-ditch effort to uh, try to uh, force the government to uh, extend its license. In its statement, HKTV said its chairman Ricky Wong did meet Wong Ching last Thursday but said the meeting was just an exchange of ideas on the licence renewal and ways to keep ATV running. Supporters of Mohamedou Bahari are celebrating his victory in the Nigerian presidential election. Mr Bahari thanked Nigerians for voting for him and urged his supporters not to harm opponents. The BBC's Will Ross reports from the capital Abuja. The long wait is over and history has been made in Nigeria. Opposition supporters were out celebrating even before the last results were announced. Then President Goodluck Jonathan called Mohamedou Buhari and congratulated him on his victory. It was a welcome move after such a bitterly fought contest and should help reduce the tension and the possibility of violence. This whole process is evidence of democracy deepening in a country